You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony. John Picasso is an award-winning science fiction illustrator. He's won the International Horror Guild Award. He's won the World Fantasy Award and the Chesley Award. Thank you for joining me, John. Uh, Good to be here. John, one of the things that really interests me about science fiction illustration is that it has a really long history. Um, The people who are in the field know all the background works, and this is really unique in, I think, both the commercial art world and in the book world as well. Yeah, I mean, you're, you're, you're saying basically that, you know, the people, not only the people that do the work, but the people that uh, follow the work know the history. Is that kind of what you're getting at? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it is, it is pretty, it is pretty uh, unique, I would say. But, I, you know, I, I think that part of it is that there's a, it's a fairly short history, I think, for, for science fiction art. And, and I think um, because it's such a collector-based, Industry, you know, like I mean, it's such a, a niche industry that's based on uh, a lot of collectors and and very uh, avid fans. I, I I think they tend to kind of uh, I don't know how you say it, but they they tend to know every aspect or they tend to absorb every aspect that they can of the field. And thankfully, that does include the art. So I mean, I, there's a lot of uh, you know illustrators from the past that I not only just in science fiction but in the the broader spectrum of American illustration that I wish were maybe a little more well-known, but, but when you really look at it, you're right. They, they, there's, there's, a, there's a very well-known history uh, that is acknowledged. Could you talk about some of the people who, how you got started in, in the field? I mean, going from illustration to science fiction illustration, that's not an easy task, is it? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm very much a, um, I, I am not the, the, the typical case for, you know, for, for how you get into illustration. Um, I'll try to keep it very, very short, give you the thumbnail sketch of how it, how it worked. Um, went to school, University of Texas at Austin, got a degree in architecture, uh, all the while thinking that I was going to uh, sort of develop a side career doing comics, which was my first love, uh, writing and illustrating comic books. Uh, growing up on typical D- DC Marvel superhero fare, um, but wanting to do stuff that was a little more not superhero, non-superhero, I should say, um, but, you know, telling my own sort of uh, stories. Uh, and writing and illustrating them, but doing it on the side and started off doing a self-published comic along with a, another writer-illustrator, and the book was called Words and Pictures. We put it out back in the mid-'90s, and uh, we only did a few issues, and those issues, though, got noticed by a few book publishers, which I did not, uh, did not solicit the, <laughs> the attention. It just kind of uh, happened that a few of them just kind of stumbled upon them, um, and there was this one particular... Um, editor named Rick Claw, who... Uh, Very who became, famous horror editor, right? He, he, he is, yeah. He, at the time, he was doing something for... Uh, gosh, what was he doing? He was kind of a jack-of-all-trades even at that point, but he was about to become the editorial director with a company called Mojo Press. So um, one of the first things he did with Mojo Press was um, commission a 30th anniversary edition of Michael Moorcock's Behold the Man. And they needed somebody to illustrate this, and he had seen the covers and the interiors that I'd done for this comic book and said, you know, this guy I think would be a really good choice. I had no intentions of ever going into book illustration. Uh, I love science fiction, love fantasy, grew up on that as well. But the, at that time in the mid-90s, we're talking about 1994, 
95, 1996 or so, um, you know, I wasn't really looking to go into books at all. Had my hands full during the day doing architecture and then coming home and doing comics. And Rick said, hey, we think that this would be something you might be interested in. And, and I said, well, yeah, let me, let me go for it. But if I do it, I want to do the entire thing all the way through, which meant I not, I not only wanted to do the cover, but interior illustrations, typeset the book, do everything down to the last period. I don't know what, what made me say that. Wow. It, it was a very <laughs> arrogant thing to say, I think, at the time, because I had no experience, no nothing. I just felt like uh, it was something I needed and wanted to do. Rick Claw and uh, the uh, publisher of Mojo, Ben Ostrander, were kind enough to give me the opportunity. to. Uh, they gave me a lot of rope to hang myself, basically. And uh, Michael Moorcock um, said, yeah, give this guy a shot. And he was very, very accommodating, very gracious. And the book did well. And the book, according to a lot of people, looked really good. And that was my first big break. And I don't think I really knew it at the when it, when it came to me. But I will say that I remember very vividly when I was done doing the work on that book, I knew my days in comics were limited because I knew that I had really found what I wanted to do. I was completely in love. I mean, beyond just, I, I, I knew that I, was, I could uh, make a lot of money in architecture if I stuck at it. But I also knew that, you know, if there's some day I could be doing this book illustration thing full time, I could be happy the rest of my life. And, and I really remember that. So it was really a life-changing experience. And so it took a while, though. We're talking years from that point to uh, get to where we are now. But so much for a short story. But there you go. <laughs> well, that's really interesting. Uh, could you talk about teaching yourself how to design a book? Because it, it's one thing to paint a beautiful picture. It's another thing to do the graphic design for a, a book. Yeah, I think I've always paid attention to how things are put together. I mean, and you also, you know, go back to what I, what I ended up going to school for, which was architecture, you know, and really what the, the, the training I had gotten at UT was really about, you know, not, it went beyond just putting together a building and, you know, making it look good, making it stand up, et cetera. It, it, it went, it got down to, you know, the, the core skills of problem solving. So I guess really, you know, I, I looked at the book just as another, problem-solving opportunity, if that's, the, if that's the way to put it. You know, I, I just really, uh, you know, I, 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 like I said, I think it was a bit arrogant of me to think that I could do that, but I kind of at the time thought, you know, if I can design a building, surely I can design a book. And I just, I went about it in a way of looking at things that I thought did it well. I looked at um, sort of uh, core uh, books like, you know, the Chicago Manual of Style, for instance, and kind of, you know, would refer to that a lot, I remember at the time. And uh, I really just kind of went about it looking at things that I thought did, did uh, design, that designed books, people that designed books well and also books that were designed well. And, uh, and I just kind of went from there. I taught myself, basically. But it was, it was fun, you know. I didn't look at it as like, you know, like uh, it wasn't, in, I don't remember feeling intimidated about it at all. I just felt like, oh, my God, what a, what a, it was a whole new world, you know. And I, so I really, to this day, thank those three guys, Rick Claw, Ben Ostrander, and Mike Moorcock. Because if they wouldn't have seen, if they wouldn't have seen that possibility in me, I don't know. I wouldn't say that I would have never become a book illustrator, or gotten to where I, where I am at this point. But but it would have taken me a lot longer. I can tell you that. So I, I'm I'm grateful to them. Well, once you got this first gig, did you then uh, 
throw aside architecture or throw aside comics and pursue this full time? How, how did how did you ramp yourself up to where you are today? Well, unfortunately, bills don't go away. So I mean, you know, <laughs> as, as pretty much I've everybody listening that. to this knows, you know, you're gonna you, you got to pay your bills, you got to make your living, et cetera, et cetera. It's a tired story. So you know, certainly, I was not in a position to just jump off the cliff and uh, and just you know dive into a freelance illustration career with no contacts and really no gigs beyond that. Um, I was working by day doing architecture, uh, and, and specifically residential, custom-built, uh, working for a, cu- a couple of different offices. Um, over the course of, I guess, another five years, it wasn't until spring of 2001, so we're talking from like 96 to 2001, where I was consistently daily working in an architecture office, uh, helping to design and build custom homes here in Texas, here in central Texas. And, uh, and, for, and so I, I was doing that to sort of pay the bills, and then by night kind of uh, spending every waking minute trying to not only generate work but also kind of teaching myself, you know, the, the skills that I thought were important, you know, trying to improve my drawing skills. And, you know, I think the, the stuff I was doing early on was a lot more like uh, photo collage type stuff uh, which was very uh, influenced by, I think, like guys like um, Robert Rauschenberg, Dave McKean. Um, and I think it was sort of something that not only was I interested in, but it was also sort of something to help me uh, communicate things that were in my head while I continued to m- improve my drawing and painting skills. I don't know if that was a conscious decision, but in the end, that's what ended up happening. Is As time went along, I became much less uh, reliant on the photo collage technique and became much more confident in my drawing and painting to where I didn't want to do any more photo collage. I wasn't interested in it. Um, I still use ph- photographs for reference uh, to do good drawings and good paintings, but I wasn't using them directly in the work, um, uh, photographs, that is. So, you know, I, I, I think... Um, well, anyway, I, I hope that, that kind of answers the question. Oh, that's fascinating. It... Could you talk about when when you're approached to to do a, a book cover? How much input do you have in terms of what that image is? Do people say, "I want you to draw," "I want this scene illustrated," or "Here's the book, read it and pull out your best thing"? Or is it some negotiation between the two, or change from time to time? No, it's it's certainly a, a case by case thing. Um, I think if you look at the, the the body of my work that that's been done so far. I would have to say I've been pretty fortunate. I, I think that um, most art directors and most art directing situations that I've been involved in, they've really kind of looked at my work and known going in, you know, this is what we can expect of him. And, and, and I think in even some of the best ones, they may leave it open for me to do something that surprises them. Um, but I think largely I've, I've, I've been left to sort of be trusted to do the best and, and make the best decisions the work. Um, and I think the best art directors do that, really. They, they sort of, no matter whether it's me or anybody, any other illustrator, they make a judgment on what they think you're, you're, they want from you, and they just kind of let you go find it and go do it. Um, I, I, there are going to be situations where you're going to be told by an art director, well, this is what we're looking for. And even sometimes, very specifically, we want you to draw or paint this scene. I think most art directors know coming to me to ask him to draw or paint one particular very specific scene, it's, it's, it's not the best way to work 
um, at least with me. Uh, I think I think that part partly is because I believe the readers have a right to imagine things for themselves, and I think if you spoon feed them, they see right through that. And 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 so, although I, I know that there is a very proud and grand tradition of of literally transcribing a scene from a book into an illustration. Personally, I, I find it to be not the best approach. So I try to avoid those situations, to be honest, and not allow myself to get into those. Um, I'm working on a project right now, which is pretty interesting, or just finished one and is about to start a similar one, which is illustrating um, the Elric novels for Del Rey, or at least illustrating a, a couple of them. I saw some of that, uh, the... the uh... They sent me some advanced reading copies, uh, Xerox sheets, and uh, I was gonna, going to ask you about that. You're back with uh, uh, Michael Moorcock again, yeah, a fellow yeah, Texan. It all comes it all comes around a circle, doesn't it? So yeah, I started off doing that book for Mike, and now here it is. There, we're, I think 2008 is going to be a big year for Moorcock, and so I'm kind of happy that I get, I get to be a part of sort of a, what I think is going to be a resurgence in 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 in, in the uh, awareness of his work. Um, so yeah, Del Rey is going to re-release um, starting in February uh, in trade paperback form all the classic Elric novels in uh, six volumes, and uh, they'll be illustrated by several different illustrators. And the first one will be illustrated by me, covers and interiors, or cover and interiors. The second one will be by Michael Kaluta. Third will be by a gentleman named Steve Ellis. Fourth would be, uh, I believe, Justin Sweet. Kaluta comes back and does the fifth. And then I finish off the series doing the sixth, the sixth book. So uh, the first one, you know, it, it, uh, coming back to the whole thing about uh, drawing and illustrating scenes, you know, I mean, it, it's one thing to do a cover and think of it conceptually and in sort of an abstract manner. But when you're, when you're illustrating a story, you know, I think you, you really do have an obligation to try to uh, work within the world the very literal world that the thing is trying to illustrate. You don't want to take the reader out of the dream that they're that they're reading. So, you know, I'm trying to work. I don't know if the right way of phrasing it is between the lines. You know, as opposed to sort of illustrating a moment, maybe trying to illustrate the moment before or after the thing that Mike has written. That's one way of going about it. Uh, but I'm trying to find things that complement what the writer writes, as opposed to just transcribing in visual form exactly what they've already said because I think the reader is always going to imagine something in a much more personal and powerful way than any other illustrator can really do or you don't want to take that that right that privilege away from them and so uh, I think there's just other ways you know um, so yeah that's that it's been interesting to try to explore that when I'm when I was doing that first book and I think in some sometimes as I go through those drawings and look back on them now you know I, I don't know if some of them uh, succeeded. You know, I think some of them were too literal. I, I think I, it's, it's a very tough line to, to be able to balance from illustration to illustration. Some of them work really well, and I think they complement and don't steal that right to imagine. And some of them, I think, yeah, just end up being transcriptions. I hate that. Really hate that. Well, so, yeah, I, I think, you know, uh, you know it, it's, it's something you uh, I'm, I'm very aware of. One thing... Uh, also, when you're going back and forth between cover and interior illustrations, you have you know really different final output. I mean, a color is going to be uh, a cover is going to be four color, mm -hmm. um, beautiful printing, and the inside you're typically going to be a, a, a black and white uh, pencil drawing. Now, do you do color versions of what we end up seeing in black and white? 
you know, I think that's the case with a lot of illustrators. On this particular project, no, that's not the way I went about it. That what you see is pretty much the way it was produced. Um, I, I just, you know, they're, they're going to be very um, refined pencil drawings that you're going to see in those, um, those interiors, and that's, that's exactly how they were produced. There's no color version of them. Wow, that's really interesting to think that just from a, a simple pencil to a, a, a mass-produced, uh, mass-market trade paperback. And I, I must say that it, it's the, seeing the Elric books come back out again and getting some, some publicity is really great because uh, I know that I'm a part of a generation that was really imprinted by those books. And I think that there's certainly uh, generations out there right now that are waiting to be imprinted by them as well. I hope so. I hope so. I, I, I think that... Um I'm going to be very interested to see what a what a 21st century YA, you know, although these books aren't specifically YA, I do think, or maybe I should get your opinion on this, I think that a lot of the, the, the generation that we come from and the generation before that was really, as you say, imprinted by the Elric stuff, I think it, a lot of times you find that people were introduced to those books in their teens. Oh, yeah, no, absolutely. Although it's interesting because I really do think of the Elric books. They're, they're adult books. I mean, they're not something you would, you would necessarily want to hand to no. a, a, a sixth-grade class without <laughs> no. telling the parents at least. That's absolutely right. And maybe, unfortunately, and very sadly, probably even less so in, in this day and age because, you know, I think that there's such a... Uh, I don't know, how do you phrase this? There's such a... Um, Hypersensitivity. That's per- that's exactly the way. That's exactly the right word. <laughs> Hypersensitivity to some of the things that Mike was trying to do, and in some ways, I think we've gone backwards in that. I think it's even less acceptable to see some of the things that he was trying to do. I mean, he was seeing oh, yeah. these very right-wing, uh, paternalistic values in, say, Tolkien or some of the other uh, sword and sorcery that was happening in the in the 50s and 60s, and this was his uh, reaction against those things, to say, you know, there's another way of doing this. There's, and, in fact, I don't agree with these values. And, and so it was a very, um, I don't want to brand it as left-wing, but I think Mike does say in the introduction to the first volume, I believe it's, it's, that line is in there. I know I've read this in an interview recently, but it was, it was a, um, something where he basically said, look, if, um, if, 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 the, if the, the sword and sorcery of the time was evoking values that were of a, of a quality of like John Wayne, I wanted to do the James Dean take on that stuff. <laughs> and it was like, exact, I, I totally got it. When he put it that way, I was like, yeah, you know what? He's absolutely right. That's that, that perfect, was, yeah. That was the way those values were working at the time. And he completely said, I'm going to subvert that. So I, I'm, personally, I'm ready to see more of that happening in this, in this time that we live in right now. So hopefully others are too. Yeah. Now, uh, another project I wanted to ask you about, because these are some of my favorite books, and I always n- never really liked the uh, the versions they were released under, is you're, you've either just done or are about to do the Jeffrey Ford Physiognomist trilogy. Yeah. it's um, I, I, I think, let's see, they're called the Well-Built City trilogy, and the oh, first book right. is called The Physiognomy. The, Physiognomy. Yeah. The, the second one's called Memoranda, and the third one's called uh, The Beyond. Right, right. And, and they've first came out through uh, HarperCollins, and, and the, the first book, um, The Physiognomy, won the World Fantasy Award when it came out. So, I mean, they're terrific books, but they, they for whatever reason, had various formats that they came out in. You know, like yeah. one would come out as a hardcover, one would come out as a mass market, one would come out as a trade paperback, so they were different sizes. That's how I have them, and it's annoying. <laughs> yeah, well, something, you're, not, you're not alone in feeling that way, unfortunately. Um, I've heard that comment from other people, but they... Um, they, they didn't feel like a set. I mean, 
visually they had a certain look that was consistent through them. But, um, but I think most would agree that when you put them together on a shelf, which I have them over here on, on my shelf, they, they, they just didn't hold together, and it, it was a tr- intended as a trilogy by Jeff. So, um, you know, uh, hindsight's twenty twenty. but now that they're trying to, Golden Griffin, trying to put these out as a, uh, as a, as a set again, I thought, well, why don't we visually connect them as a set? So the idea I proposed was, well, let me do one big shadow box assemblage of painting and found object and, and just uh, stuff, and we'll split that into thirds, and we'll, uh, each, cover, we'll, each cover of each book will get one of these thirds, and when you put them together, it'll form the entire triptych, or you'll get the whole picture. Wow, and, that uh, sounds great. <laughs> and and it's, uh, it, was, it was a real beast. It, it took, um, you know, it was in between, I would say, about 15 or 16 other cover jobs I was working on throughout 2007, as well as the Elric work that I was doing. So I was doing in between all that work, but you know, it 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 took the better part of a year, really, you know, to kind of let that thing find its way. Thankfully, it had a prolonged, a very long deadline on it. It wasn't like it had to be done overnight. So Golden Griffin gave me a lot of room on that one to to make that happen. I'm grateful for that. And um, those books come out in October, I believe. I don't know if they come out all at once, or if the, if the physiognomy comes out and then the other ones follow shortly thereafter. But they start coming out in October. And, I'm looking forward to see what people think of them. I, I, I think those books hopefully will get maybe uh, uh, expand. They'll, they'll get an expanded audience because of this re-release. Um, because I think there's more people aware of Jeff's writing and just how great he is as a writer now than maybe even when he won the World Fantasy Award back in I don't know what what it was '99 or 2000, whichever it was. Um, he's got a bigger audience now, so hopefully more people will find these books and. And really, that's all the covers are there to do, is to kind of help connect the, uh, the readers with the author. Uh, and one other thing I wanted to ask you about is, is your work with, uh, with Pyre. Uh, you're almost that, the house artist for them. No, not quite. <laughs> not quite. <laughs> not quite. Pretty cool. There's some pretty damn good cats that are illustrating covers for those. I kind of started off that way, but uh-huh. you know, Lou has expanded the empire, I must say. Lou Anders, that is. So, yeah, yeah continue. Go ahead and ask me your question. Well, well when you uh, are... are approached by uh, essentially a, a new publisher slash imprint uh how did you go about kind of establishing a visual style for them well i i don't i don't style is a tricky word with me because I, I i really try my best to try to just take everything on a case by case i don't i don't see myself as having one particular you know approach that i'm trying to brand onto everything I do. In fact, I kind of take some pains, you know, look no further than say like the well-built city, you know, which looks nothing like anything else I did last year. I think a lot of people say that the Elric interiors that they're about, that have been starting to leak out, you know, these pencil drawings, Mm -hmm. a lot of people say this looks nothing like any of the other stuff you've been doing. And I'm quite thrilled, to be honest, when I hear people say things like that. that's great. I take that as a great thing, you know, because I think, A, I don't think it's, uh, doing justice to the works that I'm being commissioned for to to just imprint the same look because they're coming from so such different places. You know, I'm I'm working in science fiction, fantasy, horror, and to have just a generic look that goes onto each of them to be stamping onto each of them. Mm-hmm. It's just it's BS. It's not the way it's not the way these things should be treated. So I really try to judge them on their own merits and respond accordingly visually. And and I think they in turn push me. You know, to try to find new ways to communicate. So. With Pyre, for instance, you know, I mean, Lou is, Lou is tremendous because he's, you know, he's, his t- job title 
is editorial director. But, you know, he's, he's a lot more than that. He, he really is the de facto art director over there, although they have a great design department. He's really, if, if, you know, I don't know if he likes people knowing this, but he's the one that makes a lot of those decisions and works, works with the, the illustrators to, um, to generate the best covers possible. And, again, I, I, I'll use him as an example as one of those guys who just says, look, this is where I'm coming from with this book. This is what I think are the strengths of the book. Now you go, you go filter it through your strengths as an illustrator, and let's come up with the best image possible for this. And so it really becomes a really nice dialogue. Where you, I love working with him. He's just, he's just a, he's an extraordinary mind. So we, we have great fun when we're working together. I'm working on the second fast-forward cover, or about to right now. And so, um, you know, it's like uh, my A will meet his B, and we'll come up with a C that we never would have gotten to without each other. And that's, that's, that's the best stuff, you know. That, that's the best collaboration you can ask for. So um, I don't really look to put a style on, on, on anything. I just try to react to the work that I'm given. Well, that's really interesting because one of the things that, that I have noticed about your work is there is just a, a, a lot of variety, and it's not necessarily easy. In, in a sense, uh, your skill acts against you because it's not easy to recognize John Picasso. That's all right. <laughs> that's okay. You know, I, I think I, I was warned early on in my career that I needed to find um, a particular style, and that word was used very specifically when, that, when uh, certain individuals were, were discussing my work, and they said, you know, if you're going to have a career here, you're going to really need to kind of pick a way of doing what you do. You know, you're good at some of these things, but pick one and leave it and, and go from there. And I really refused to do that. And, and I, I may have... Uh, you know, perhaps lost a few opportunities here and there because I, I refused to do that. But you know what? I think I'm going to have a longer career because I, I did make that choice. And so I, I encourage others when, when they ask me for advice, you know, and I say, you know, really take the time to l- look with a longer view at what you're doing. And don't, don't just, you know, uh, I don't know what I'm trying to say, but maybe sell out and just go for one particular thing that's hot right at the moment and follow a trend that you think is going to make you money right this second because everybody else is doing it and everybody else wants it. You know, go with the way you see the world. And I really believe that in the end, that's going to take you the distance. Whereas just doing what everybody else thinks you should be doing, it's usually going to sell you short. So, uh, well, that's a little bit too preachy. I hope that didn't come out that, that, that way, I, the way it sounded to me. But, but I, I really think that um, the fact that I do try to approach things from different, with different voices, so to speak, uh, that, that's a lot of the fun. And, and that's why even though I, I bust ass every day working all these long hours, I don't get burnt out. You know? I just enjoy the hell out of this stuff. Now, y- you typically do science fiction, horror, and fantasy covers. Have you sought work or been offered work in, for more, by more mainstream, a literary uh, providers? Um, I think if, if, if it's not a matter of not being offered work. I think it's a matter of, well, quite frankly, I don't think illustration is a growing field outside of genre. Uh, that's just my personal opinion. I think you see less and less of it. If you really look at, say, you walk in your typical bookstore, for instance, and see, besides genre, if you cut that out, how much illustration, new illustration, is being used on, say, you know, general literary imprints. Um, 
you'll, you'll find that it's it, there's not a whole lot, and and it's it's really I think shrunk even since when I first got into the field back in the uh, late '90s. You know, I think there's there's less and less of that, and you can probably come up with any number of reasons why. Many of them financial, but um, sadly, there's less and less illustration opportunity. I think uh, in, in not only books but in editorial and in, in other forms of media. I, I think you know conceptual art, concept art for film is one of the growing niches in illustration. Not necessarily something I'm particularly interested in at the moment. Could be down the road. But, um, you know, I've done my fair share of editorial illustration. It doesn't pay a heck of a lot, but sometimes it's really a lot of fun to, to float in those waters. But, um, you know, I, I think really I'm lucky in that not only do I love science fiction, fantasy, and horror, but it seems to have given me a lot of opportunities to, to work within it. Now, I'm pretty happy in it, you know, so... As long as those opportunities are there and, and we continue to have this dialogue, I'm, I'm going to stay, you know, and, and I'll spend most of my time here, you know, until something better comes along. But it's hard for me to imagine there would be. This is, this is like the toy store, you know. We've been talking with John Picasso. He's a science fiction, fantasy, and horror illustrator. Thank you for joining me, John. You got it, man. No problem. <laughs> You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony.